So we're looking at the sermon series called We Believe, and we're speaking about a faith that is strong and firm, that can encourage us and give us strength as we live our daily lives, as we trust God and we follow Him. And uh, so round, round numbers, the early 1500s, uh, we have what we call the Protestant Re- uh, Reformation, where uh, Christianity had become institutionalized, and uh, in a very real way, the church had tried to take matters of faith away from human beings, like you and me, just normal Christians. And so the reformers rose up, and they wrestled to restore the truth of the gospel uh, back to the church, the, the you and me church. And uh, the, the wonderful truths of the Reformation can be distilled into these five statements of faith. And so in this series, as we call We Believe, uh, we look at the, quote, five solas. Thanks, Howard. We five solas, uh, uh, not solar power, but solo, okay, onlys. And we've said sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. We've said sola gratia, which means grace alone. We've said sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, we spoke about last, uh, last week, Christ alone. And uh, then we said today we'll deal with soli deo gloria, to God be the glory Alone. If you grew up in church, perhaps in traditional church, like I did singing hymns, who sung hymns growing up? My goodness, look at that, eh? Uh, I remember being in school, and they would force us back. If we were, if we were naughty in, um, in assembly, if we spoke out of turn in assembly, then they would bring us back at break time to sing hymns as punishment. Now, that's not the best kind of message that you want to raise kids with, you know. When you sing hymns, it's punishment. But uh, hopefully you can sing hymns these days and not be feel punished. Um, when we sing our national anthem, part of it's in Afrikaans. Didn't you love the, the book of Acts according to Bloemfontein this morning? Hey? <laughs> uh, I, I didn't realize there's a G in that guy's name. Uh, but it sounded good. I mean, if he hadn't told us it, I would have believed it. I mean, it sounded very good. JP, well done. Um, but uh, part of, our, part of our, our national anthem is in Afrikaans. And growing up as a very English guy from KZN, uh, I always wondered what a Chacha Berchter was. Because in KZN, we used to sing the national anthem, the Eva Chacha That's how you sing it when you're singing in English. All right. Uh, then I met some Afrikaans friends, and I went to Afrikaans church, and we sang this song, Preisty hier met blaie chalme. And everyone looks at me blank face, even some of the Afrikaners. Hey? And <laughs> there's an English version of that hymn. It uh, goes like this. Praise the Lord with great rejoicing. Chalme are songs of praise. And uh, so as we come this morning to Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. To God, do you remember this one? To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life, an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. This is the Christ that we are singing this about this morning. And so we look at these five solas, we remind ourselves of what we believe, we gain an assurance of, a, of our faith, a confidence in our relationship with Jesus, and a security in the love of God, a renewed passion and drive, like JP reminded us this morning, to tell others. 
And so the reformers, thanks Howard, the reformers declared these five, uh, we can, we can um, summarize it into these five great truths. They said, Scripture alone, which means that the authority of the Word of God is, the, is the, the authority for all matters of faith, life, and doctrine, that my life should be lived according to the Word of God. When you and I have a disagreement, or when your spouse has a disagreement, or when you are having a disagreement with yourself, have you ever had that? Ever had a disagreement with yourself? I want to, but I shouldn't, or I should, but I don't want to. Yes? Then who wins? Who, who's got the get out of jail free card? The silver bullet. The bullet that we have to take is the scriptures. Let the scriptures be the answer and not what I choose. We said faith alone, that salvation is through faith apart from good works. There's no works. There's no thing I can do to add to my salvation. I receive it by faith in God. Remember, we spoke about the guy with a wheelbarrow going over the Niagara Falls. You know, if you remember his name, just remember the wheelbarrow and choose to climb in. The third thing we said is grace alone. That salvation is by the grace of God alone. It's a free gift that I can't deserve. Funny, I, I, I saw an article just yesterday and, um, uh, Talking about uh, the financial situation in South Africa, they say the the household indebtedness has risen by some alarming percentages this year. And in fact, they say you know when you go to the when you go to the bank, it, they say that they will give you up to thirty percent of your total income for your bond payment. Yeah, have you been there? Well, they're saying at the moment that people in lower incomes and people in higher incomes are both in the same same category. They're saying that people are indebted. So 66% of our annual salary, our monthly salary, goes to paying off debt on average in South Africa right now. That's unsustainable. But now when it comes to salvation, there's nothing. I don't have to, have I got, <laughs> have I got the affordability? Can I make the payments to get myself saved? The best part is I don't, it's like 110% overdebted when it comes to salvation. I don't have the opportunity to pay my way to salvation. It's a free gift that I don't deserve from Jesus. We spoke about Christ alone. That salvation is only found in Jesus Christ because of his atoning sacrifice. That atone, word atone, uh, at one. It makes us one. His payment makes me one with Jesus. And then finally, which we'll talk about today, we spoke about glory to God alone. That salvation is accomplished by God alone for his Glory. So just to recap, because we're coming towards the end of our, our series, the scriptures are the authority that my life submits to. The Bible is trustworthy, necessary, excuse me, sufficient, and clear. The second thing we said is that all God asks me to do is to stop trying to save myself, and then through faith in His promise to save me, trust that Jesus' life and death are indeed sufficient to save me from my sins. We said that salvation is God's initiative. It's a free gift. It's generously given at Jesus' own expense. It's like that rich guy. Don't worry, I'll pick up this round. We're sitting all, we're sitting at the restaurant. He says, I got this. Put it on my tap. Now Jesus is the one who at his own expense brings us salvation and to those who are undeserving in every Way. We said that Jesus alone is the only answer to the problem of how can sinful man be made right with a holy God. Salvation is acknowledging I can't save myself and that only Jesus can reconcile me with the Father and that I live my life with Jesus as the center to bring him pleasure. So the five solas 
clarify the gospel for us. They really make it simple and, and help us to understand. They help us to come to grips with a faith that is unshakable, that will stand in every circumstance. Stand in every circumstance. In justification, which we've spoken about, making me right before God, faith receives a finished work of Christ performed outside of me on my behalf, which is counted as my own through faith. I'm dealing with some big topics this morning, so let me just repeat it because I really want us to get a hold of this. In justification, justification, remember we said, is a technical term which puts me right with Jesus Christ. So faith receives as a finished work, as a completed event, the work of Jesus performed outside of me. It's not me who did it, but Jesus on my behalf, and then faith credits it to me as though it was mine through faith. In sanctification, now sanctification is the working of God in my life ongoingly from salvation to when I go to be with Him, the working of greater holiness in my life. Faith receives the ongoing power at work inside of me producing practical holiness. How do I serve God? How do I please Him, which the Bible says we should do? It's through the process of sanctification. Is it me trying harder to say my prayers? There I met an old man who wouldn't say his prayers, so I took him by the left leg and threw him down the stairs. Is it when I don't say my prayers, I'm in trouble? When I do say my prayers, I'm okay? No. There's, a, there's an ongoing power which faith receives that produces in me practical holiness. Thanks, Howard. You can give us that next slide. So this morning we say, Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 3, it says, There is a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. For every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be made level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. This morning, that's our goal, to live a life such that only God gets the glory. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, the, the, you know, they say, hey, well done. Thank you so much. And people say, oh, all glory to God. And sometimes it, it kind of rolls off the tongue so glibly. I don't know if you've, if you've, uh, the Americans, whenever they come across someone in the armed services, or army or um, army guy or a navy guy, or whatever, what do they say? Thank you for your service. But it becomes so practiced, so glib. You wonder, is it just words we say or does it even mean something? You come here on a Sunday morning. You say, hey, how's it? How are you? <laughs> what do we say? I'm fine. And both ways, this becomes so practice. Are you actually asking or are you actually telling? And we can become so casual. So, oh, Jesus, yes, it's your glory. You're bigger and all of those things. But the Bible says here that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. I want to say to us this morning that there are valleys in our lives. We read this passage, it says the valley shall be raised up and every mountain must be made low. There are valleys in our lives, literally depressions. Isn't it interesting when we speak about our emotional uh, state, we say we can be depressed, but when you press something, you make a depression. If you're needing dough, you make a depression, don't you? And there are valleys in our lives that need to be raised up. They need to be lifted up because there is something that has pressed us down. The low points of sin and self-doubts. The Bible says the valleys need to be raised up and the high places need to come down. 
can I say to us that there are high places in our lives. And sometimes we say, oh, I'm not proud, you know. Or, and actually, <laughs> sometimes when we bag on ourselves, when we put ourselves down, it's actually false pride. There's a false pride that comes in in super humility. And there are hard parts in our lives that need to come down. They draw attention. We draw attention to our success or rely on our own endeavors and renown. And the Bible says that when the valleys come up and those high places come down, what happens? There is a plain. Another passage speaks about preparing a highway for the Lord to come in. You want the Lord to come into your life to, to intervene in your situation? Well, then there's some depression, some, some low places that need the Lord to make right, to make a, a, a complete again. There's some high places of our self-assessment that needs to come down so that the Lord can come and display His glory uh, to many. Uh, Howard, you can give us that next slide. So when we look back at the Protestant Reformation, we see there was a controversy uh, with the Catholic Church. And the key controversy around the Protestant Reformation was this, how helpless we really are in our deadness and guilt. And 500 years ago, there's all these contentions, these arguments about how that works out. And so the controversy was over what it took to give us life and to turn the heart of God from the wrath uh, from wrath to be 100% for us. That next one, Howard, please. It says, And the answer that the reformers contended for was that not only, was that only grace can raise us from the dead. Only Christ can become our punishment and our perfection. And these two miracles of life from dead and wrath removed could only be received as a gift through faith, not merited and earned, uh, so that the entire Transaction, forgive the, the formatting, so that the entire transaction would lead ultimately to the glory of God. So long ago, people said, how do we come right with God? There's salvation and there's some things we need to do. And the reformers rose up. They said, no, only God saves a man so that only God can get the glory. And so we say, sola, soli deo gloria. You can give us that next slide, Howard. Thank you. And so the question that is asked is, what does it take for a sinful man to be made right with God? And the reformers contended that it's grace alone, without any contribution from the corpse, raises us from the dead and makes us innocent before God. I, I, I read this, I think it's John Piper that said this, I read this during the, the, the week, and I find it such a, such a graphic, but such a powerful uh, uh, picture when we speak about this thing of salvation and who adds what. Now, if I was dead, I would be dead. If you catch me, I mean, think of all the medical shows we like to see. You know, they, they get the defibrillators out and they charge them up and they say, clear. And you shock the corpse, it bounces and you wait. And the, you know, the, the camera zooms in on that beeping machine and we see what happens. Does it spark again or does it keep on flatlining? You've seen it. And then they've got to wait while the machine charges up and there's that noise, hey? The, as the, the batteries recharge and then it's clear and then it's get these defibrillators again. I have never seen on the movies where the corpse puts its arms out, grabs the paddles and puts it on its own chest. I mean, if you've seen that, then I don't know whether you should share those movies or stop watching those movies because those are, that's weird. <laughs> right? But picture this. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our sins. Hmm. <laughs> And somewhere along the line, because of our human sinfulness, we get the idea, man, I can help myself towards Jesus. I can help myself to be saved. 
And it's exactly like the corpse resurrecting itself. And so here we have grace alone, without any contribution from the corpse, the dead human being, raises us from the dead and makes us innocent. And so, in many ways, the efforts, the efforts of the reformers were to come to terms with the problem that we spoke of last week. How can a sinful man become right with a holy God? So will you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2, it's sort of roughly in the halfway mark of the, of the um, New Testament, just after Galatians. Uh, if you need to look at your index, please feel free. If you're on a smart device, it's probably a whole, whole lot quicker to get there. And so let's read it together. Ephesians, you're dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3 says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature observing wrath. This sounds very gloomy, doesn't it? But don't worry, verse 4 and 5 are coming. It says, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Don't you love that, that phrase? He's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Notice the language. It's important. And we're saying that as we understand, we get to grips with the theology. It helps us be strong and confident in our faith. So God, who is rich in mercy, finds mankind. Am I allowed to say that these days, Ben? Humankind. Yeah. Men and women. Yeah. <laughs> God finds mankind, person kind. Gets really, really like forced when you have to be politically correct, right? God finds human beings who are dead in their trans- transgressions, their sins, and he makes them alive through a free gift, which is his grace. I'd like to remind you of Three friends, maybe they're friends of yours. We find them in the scriptures. Thanks, Howard. The first one is Paul. Remember, he was born at about the same time as Jesus. The historians say he could have even been born within the same year as Jesus. He would have been a contemporary. He was raised in the Jewish faith. He became very high up in the things of the Jewish religion. He was violently opposed to the teachings of Jesus and his followers. He traveled from town to town, persecuting, torturing, and killing Christians until God intervenes in his life, arresting Paul in his pursuit of the Christians, and he saves him. (laughs) Can I just remind us that Paul thought he was very holy. He was so holy, in fact, that he was rooting out other people's sin that he thought. And then God intervenes. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't preparing himself to be a better person. He was not interested in finding Jesus. And Jesus interrupts him in his tracks. (laughs) And in the pursuit of Christians, God saves Paul. And he turns him from a self-righteous murderer to a follower of Jesus and an apostle of his gospel. What about David? You remember David from the Old Testament? They call him King David. 
We heard this morning about how you salute or, or you, you um, greet a king. Remember David, he was the much-loved son with a great future. The prophet came along as a young man, and he wasn't around, and they said, find him. Eventually, David came. They anointed him to be king. Even while the other king was in place, they spoke of a great future that this young man, David, looking after the sheep had. He had a heart after God. He had the courage to kill Goliath on behalf of the, the armies of God. But he was seduced by the pleasures of life. It suddenly struck me, you know, that this, so David... Um, he ends up with at least eight wives, and the Bible says many concubines. And then there's others, so it's at least eight. We don't know how many, and concubines. So he had, there were a lot of ladies in his life. You know what's interesting? King Solomon, his son, we are told, had 300 and 700, over 1,000. I mean, it's quite, now they do say a lot of that would have been like political connections. Um, as king, you had to make a, a political treaty with another tribe. You would probably do that by marriage. But you understand, I mean, there was a lot going on. And this guy, with all of these women in his life, what's his downfall? Another woman. And it suddenly struck me, this guy, I mean, I'm tiptoeing, trying to be polite. Yeah, my wife's giving me, checking up on me from the front row. But here's my point. I mean... I really don't know how to say this politely. But man, if, if you got one of those and one of those and one of those and one of those, but every kind of option you could find, you see how our actions and our heart are different. It's like guys like, that, that like cars. If you've got a fast car and a slow car, a, a strong car and a big car and a small car, how many more cars do you need? It's interesting, what was the thing that caught him, the, 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 the temptation that drew him from the things of the Lord? It was a lady. And so here we have this man who starts out so well. He ends up with more than eight wives, many concubines. Yet when he sees Bathsheba, he resorts to adultery, deceit, and murder. How's that for a friend, member of the Chamber of Commerce, king of your nation? And then God sends Nathan the prophet to get his attention and bring him to repentance. Paul not wanting to look for God. David, man, up the creek with no paddle, right? I mean, he was really entrenched. And God sends the prophet to get his attention and turn him from his ways. And then we've got Mary. Remember Mary from the beginning of the New Testament? Mary, this young girl. She was. She would have been just a young teenager. Just a girl. Just a girl. A poor girl in an insignificant town from a humble family with little expectation that her life was going to be any different than most. Remember, culturally, women didn't feature in the status quo of the Jewish system of the day. She was unknown. She was unremarkable. And then the angel Gabriel interrupts her life, <laughs> comes to Mary, and he tells her that she has been chosen and favored by God to be the mother of his son. And despite her own fear, she just she exhibits such great courage and character, and she says, let it be. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me, as you say. Amazing. She becomes a willing servant of God and the mother of Jesus. Can you give us that next slide, Howard? C.S. Lewis, the great writer, said this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. 
Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. I can summarize that in one sentence. We settle for less than God intended. So this morning we're talking about Soli Deo Gloria, to God be the glory alone. And I'm going to show you how in each of these opportunities we see God bringing glory to himself. Thanks, Howard. And so the question that we ask, uh, John Piper asks these two questions. He says, what then is the glory of God? And Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love this, this quote. When the holiness of God radiates into the earth for people to see, it's called the glory of God. When the, radiate, when the holiness of God radiates into the earth for people to see, it's called the glory of God. You know, when Paul, as I've said, he was persecuting the Christians, he grabs Stephen, this young man, caught for preaching the gospel. They drag him outside of town, and they're busy stoning him to death. What does the Bible say? It says, Stephen looked to heaven, and his face became like the face of an angel. He saw the glory of God depicted on Stephen's face. The one person that witnessed to Saul who became the Apostle Paul was this man. Did he preach at him? No. He depicted the radiated glory of God shone on his face. Isn't that amazing? So why, what is the glory of God? It's God being made plain. God being revealed for who he is. The second question uh, we have to ask ourselves is why is the glory of God the goal of all things? Because we've said all these solas, right? We said sola scripture, the scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Jesus alone. And now we're saying, but for the glory of God alone. Why is the glory of God the goal of all things? Isaiah 42 verse 8 tells us, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So why is the glory of God the goal of all things? Because it's God's plan. So this is a bit of a cop-out, but I could tell you, I could answer the question this way. I could say, why is the glory of God the goal of all things? I could say, because God wants it that way. That sort of stops the arguments, right? Why are there seven days in a week? Why is there night and day? Well, that's how God made it. We can't really argue with that, right? Yes. And so this is God's plan. His purpose is to reveal himself to mankind. That glory be to God. And in him revealing himself to man, as we become more like him, then we are graced to be able to reveal him to those around us. Here is a great clash of man and God. We have self-seeking man who longs to steal God's glory and be the focal point of adulation. <laughs> I hope you're sitting here thinking, oh, I don't, know. I don't have friends like that, but it's definitely not me. Have you noticed, friend? Have you noticed that your heart, and let me be honest, mine too, your and my heart drifts to selfishness? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? If you haven't, you can just come chat with me after the meeting. I'll sort you out. Because all you've got to do is add a little bit of pressure, a little bit of tiredness, a little bit of self-interest, and very quickly we stand up for ourselves, right? Very quickly. Self-seeking man who longs to steal God's glory. <laughs> I 
So we can say that the purpose of God in creating all things is to bring glory to himself, to plainly, plainly reveal himself and the salvation that no one else can offer. So this morning you might be one of those, and most people seem to be, that ask this big question, what is the purpose of life? What am I here for? I would suggest if you haven't already asked that question, you will pretty soon. It's like we go through stages of life, and every few years, it's like we come back to that question. We say, well, what is my purpose in life? What am I here for? What will give my life meaning? We see in the Scriptures that those that have got great wealth, once they get it, they realize, actually, it doesn't satisfy. Those that get, that, that get great significance, once they get it, they realize that doesn't satisfy either. So what then, friends, are the, is the purpose of our lives? Man, I'm hoping this morning that you will go home, maybe not with, with, with the clarity of the way forward, but you would go home saying, man, I know what God has called me to. How, would you like that? Cheap at the price. You and I leave this place this morning saying, man, Jesus has settled something in me. So what is the purpose of my life? I want to say it's just that. It's just that, to bring glory to God. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. What's the purpose of my life? To bring glory to God. If I'm a plumber, my friend is, somehow to bring glory to life, to God. If I'm an accountant, if I'm a, whatever I may be, if I'm a mother, a father, a man, a woman, a young one, an old one. <laughs> if I work in an office or out in the field, what is the purpose of my life? It's less about what the path of my life is. The purpose of God in my life is what? To bring Him glory. You want to just settle that for a moment? Would you say, just, maybe you're shy. You can say it quietly so the guy next to you doesn't hear. The purpose of my life is to bring God glory. And we've said, what is God's glory? When God's holiness radiates from a follower of Jesus Christ, His glory is made plain. We'll pick up that thought when, when I conclude. So more than discovering my purpose or doing my thing or feeling fulfilled, I am not the end of myself. <laughs> we love to, to look for what will fulfill me. I've got a better answer for you. Yes, hopefully you get a job that you like, but the biggest problem is that my job is not to find what I like to do, but my job is to bring glory to Jesus. I'm not an end in myself. You want to know what your purpose is? It's the glory of God. Do that. <laughs> you see, because that puts us all on the same playing field, right? If you mow the lawn in your house, I don't know if you do anymore. If you're mowing your grass, you can mow your grass and display the glory of God. If you're sitting in a board meeting, you can sit in a board meeting to the glory of God. If you're giving your friend a lift, if you're making noise for your neighbor, you can do it to the glory of God. Use whatever means at your disposal to radiate into the world who God is. The question should not be, what is my purpose? What is but what is God's purpose? And then just do whatever is at your disposal to accomplish that as far as it is in your ability. If our purpose is to bring glory to God, then let me figure out, well, for me, I can't do what you do, but I can do what I can do. But the purpose of doing that is what? To bring God glory. If you have a business, what's the purpose of your business? To make money? Sure. To pay salaries? Sure. The purpose of your business? Bring glory to God. If you work for a boss, if you work for a big company, what's your purpose? To get the shareholders a good profit at the end of the year? No, your purpose is to bring glory to God. If you work for a small company, what's the purpose? To keep the, <laughs> to, to keep the company going just one more year? 
No, to bring glory to God, whether you're selling widgets or policies or sending people to the moon. What's the purpose of our life? To bring glory to God. Are you getting it? Is it sinking in a little bit? Now, for some of you, you can do that by baking a cake. For others, you try that, you're going to kill someone. There's no glory there. Get it? For some of us, we do it by singing. For others of us, we do it by not singing. I don't know what skills and gifts and anointings, abilities God has put on your life. But all I know is choose some of those and use them to bring glory to God. Because we say God is God and the point is to bring Him glory and not me. A friend of ours, Ian McKellar, used to say, that he used to quote the scriptures. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, Right? It says those to, to, the, to the humble, he lifts them up, and to the proud, he brings them low. Have you read those scriptures before? And Ian McKellar used to say, when I do his job, he has to do mine. Did you get it? Let me refresh your mind with the scriptures. The Bible says, he opposes the proud, he brings them low. The humble, he lifts up. The Bible says that I should humble myself before the sight of the Lord. Yes? So what is my job? To bring myself low. To get those valleys sorted out. There's no high places. When I do my job, He can do mine and lift me up. When I do His job and lift myself up, He has to do mine and bring me low. What's the point of this life? It's to bring Glory to God. Let's have a quick look what the Bible says. We've got a few more minutes. Let's have a look. You can turn with me. Uh, thanks. You can give us that scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. There's four scriptures we're going to read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Encourage you to turn there as you, as you go. Happy to let you have some time to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. It says, All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching to overflow to the glory of God. Have you ever asked God for grace? Jesus, I'm seeing that client tomorrow. I need grace. Jesus? (laughs) I had a meeting with pastors the other day. (laughs) The guy that that, uh, uh, booked the venue and uh, he sent out directions. And he said, uh, this is the building, just go inside. If you're struggling to find it, it's just past the Porsche garage. I'm like, oh dear, why did you have to say the Porsche garage? <laughs> Jesus, tomorrow I'm going to be in a situation where I don't know whether I'll be strong enough to stand. I need your grace. Jesus, tomorrow... I'm going to struggle through something with someone else. Tomorrow I've got to balance my checkbook. Tomorrow I've got to pay salaries. Tomorrow I've got to pay rent. Jesus, I need your grace. Have you ever asked God for grace? What's God's grace for? Just to get me out of a pickle? No, stick around. It says, all this is for your benefit so that, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people. Isn't that cool? It's not just for the chosen few. It's for more and more people. May cause over uh, thanksgiving to do what? Overflow to the glory of God. Why does God cause you to ask Him for grace and then why does He give it? So that thanksgiving can overflow so that He can get glory. 
So we don't go home thinking, that was close, but fortunately I was clever enough to get out of the fix. No, we say, man, God, your glory was displayed right there. God produces glory uh, in us. And um, let's have a look at Ephesians 2 verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Man, we could spend hours just reading the scriptures over and over and going to the passages. And so really, I'm just giving you like, like the highlights. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us, in Christ Jesus, notice in order that he may show. What does that mean? To render apparent. To render apparent speaks of revealing his glory when the holiness of God is radiated from the life of a man or a woman. That's when God gets his glory. Verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. (laughs) Whoever said amen, I'm sorry, because I have to say this next part. Was it you, Sheila? Sorry, be my friend, okay? Who said it? Please be my friend. (laughs) Dombi, was it you? Someone on this side. (laughs) Please be my friend. You know, we often read that passage. We read it like this. I do, and I have. We did it like this. Oh, we are God's handiwork. Oh, Jesus. I'm your handiwork. The Greek word for handiwork is work of art. I am your masterpiece, Jesus. I feel so good. Mm -hmm. We continue to read. I've been created in Christ to do good works. That's right. I'm so proficient in doing good works. I don't just do mediocre works. God has gifted me. I am talented. I've got game. Not only that, but he's prepared them advance for me to do. And we read that whole passage from the perspective of me. Oh God, this is my chance to look good because you're going to help me. This passage is about the glory of God. So so Tombi and I can be friends because all that I've said is true. But I'm not the end of the passage, the end of the passage is Jesus receiving glory. In glory to God alone. Salvation is a gift. It's not from myself. Remember, the dead body can't defibrillate itself. It's got nothing to do in its resurrection, in its resuscitation. Another way to put boasting is to take glory, is to say we take glory from God. Notice it says here that this is a gift of God so that no one can boast. God intended salvation to be only up to him so that I can't say, sure, you know, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but actually, you know, I also did a bit. And can I tell you what the danger of doing a bit is? Because then I've got to keep doing my bit if I'm adding to Jesus' bit. And when I don't do my bit, I'm in trouble. And so the glory of God is this. (laughs) Let me catch up with myself. Remember the devil in, in, in the Old Testament? What was Lucifer's sin? What was his great sin? Why did Lucifer get cast out from heaven? His great sin was, Linda said it right, that of pride. He said, why can't I and God be the same? What's that? That's pride, taking glory from him. And so God built salvation in such a way that I don't contribute. It means only he contributes, means that he gets the glory and not me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, we're coming to land here. <laughs> this is a great scripture if you're feeling doubtful about yourself or down a bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. <laughs> Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. How would you like it if I greeted you for the first time in the morning and said, Hey, how's it, you foolish thing? Probably wouldn't go so. Probably not what they teach at Bible school, right? Pastors shouldn't greet people like that. But it's true in the Word. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, remember the valleys and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him you are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Therefore, as it is written, let Him, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. <laughs> let me finish with this. You can give us that next slide, Howard. When I look at this little picture, it makes me want to sing that song. Thank you, this little light of mine. You see, when the holiness of God radiates out into the earth for people to see, it's called the glory of God. You know what the amazing thing is? I spend so much time trying to tell you and I that we have no contribution to make to our salvation, which means we can look down on ourselves. But the point is that we need God, the only one who can create salvation in us, who gives it as a free gift. So what? <laughs> so what? So that you and I can like that light, that little candle being lit, so that we get to. I don't get to make myself saved. I don't get to contribute in the process. But you know what I do get to, to do? I get to shine for the Lord. I get to radiate the holiness of God out into the earth so that people may see the glory of God. How's that for a purpose for your life? So therefore, I've got some homework for you. <laughs> I've got some homework for you. If we agree from the Scriptures that the purpose of all things is to God alone be the glory, then it should change the way we live. So I thought to myself, how's the best way that it changes my that it changes my life? Well, surely I should just be more like Jesus. I mean, all that we've said can be summed up like that. How do I shine, radiate the holiness of God? Right? You know, do I walk around not looking at things and you know tut tutting when someone says a bad word? No, that's not holiness. Holiness is just being more like Jesus, right? So then I asked myself, so what was Jesus like? I mean, you can. You can write a whole list. I did some Googling. The one, the one website, 60 characteristics of Jesus. I mean, my goodness, right? Yeah? I won't give you them all, I promise. But let's just think this through. Jesus was compassionate, right? I mean, how's this for a tough one? You know that boss of yours or that colleague of yours that just grinds you? Could I radiate the holiness of God by being more compassionate this week to them? Those politicians we like to complain about, could I show godliness by extending some compassion and not judgment? Jesus was quick to serve. I don't want to call him a servant because that's who his nature is, but he was quick to serve. 
How quick am I to pick up someone else's load? The Bible says, take that bag and take it another mile. Put it down. <laughs> How about forgiving? <laughs> you know, when I forgive you, you it, I get set free. Tyron Daniel loves to say, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting our enemy to die. But when I forgive, I'm most like Jesus, and I radiate the glory of God. He was loyal. He was gentle, but he was strong. He was humble. He was obedient. How about this one? He was generous. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave. So next time you and your mate go for coffee and you say, I'll get this one. What are we doing? We are radiating the glory of God in all the earth. Next time you choose <laughs> to go without so that someone else can have, what are we doing? We're like Jesus, aren't we? <laughs> Jesus notices the marginalized. He was a friend and so on. To God alone be the glory. It's the purpose for my life. And it's the to-do list for my life. I want to invite you this week, even now, to be saying, God, there's a to-do list. What is it? Is it loving? Is it loyal? Is it forgiving? Is it gentle? Is it humble? Is it service? Jesus, let me be like you, that I might display the glory of God. Would you mind standing? I'd love to pray. Father, as we stand before you, we're so grateful to you, Lord. <laughs> I can get sidetracked on that again. But I simply want to pray, Jesus, that you would allow us to radiate your glory by being more like Jesus. I pray, Lord, in our homes, in our workplaces, where we study, where we socialize. I pray, Jesus, that we would display these characteristics of Christ so that God might receive all the glory alone in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Some tea and coffee in the courtyard. If you're looking for